Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Thank you. Well, it's really lovely to be here this morning. And I've been enjoying being here in Northern Ireland for the last few days speaking at different things but but this is my final thing so this is the highlight of my little northern ireland tour so i'm really pleased to be finishing it with all of you wonderful people and what fantastic worship thank you so much i can see a couple of you but i'm not sure where where the others are thank you so much and it has just been lovely these last few days getting a little taste of Northern Ireland and of your wonderful hospitality and welcome to me. So thank you, those of you who've spoken to me and said welcome and smiled at me. And I've also had a taste uh, of Belfast and got to experience it as the party city of the world. Who knew? I tell you, yesterday afternoon... Walking around Belfast, there was a lot of partying going on. Uh, I didn't join in. I would quite, I know it sounds really boring. I would quite have liked to have done. So it's great to be here. I'm thrilled to be hearing all the, the different things that you're involved with as a church and just for me to get that glimpse of joining you and your life. Um, and we want to take some time this morning to be thinking through the climate crisis and wider issues of other environmental things and issues of poverty. I know I can feel your heart sinking as I'm going through that list. Do you know those aren't separate issues to other things that we face? It could, you could well be forgiven for thinking, do you know there's enough going on? There's been COVID, I've been coping with a pandemic, there's a war happening, there's this and that. I've got enough going on without needing to think about this as well. But actually, one of the things that I've been learning so much is that we can't separate out environmental concerns from human concerns. Everything that we care about will be and is impacted by the climate crisis. If we care about our health, if we care about our families, if we care about the food that we eat, whatever is important to you will in some way be impacted by the climate crisis. So this isn't a separate thing over here. This is something that weaves all the way through our lives. Even the family that we've just been hearing about in the car park, one of the, the key reasons why the Syrian refugee crisis has happened has been because of conflict exacerbated by the climate crisis, which has led to severe drought over many years and has pushed people into the cities and has led to increasing tribal conflict these things are going to come to our doorsteps they're not going to stay remote so i want us to take some time to think about well why why should we care as christians what's this got to do with my christian faith and i'm gonna start just by reading you a story 
When it comes to stories, we need to start in the beginning, don't we? So I am starting in the beginning. Very familiar words to you, I'm sure. In the beginning, before the heavens and the earth existed, lived a god and a goddess. Apsu, the god of fresh water, and Tiamat, the goddess of salt water. Before meadowlands or reed beds had been formed, when there were no other deities and no destinies had yet been decreed, these two mingled their waters, and from those waters came younger gods. Those younger gods grew in strength and stature and became wise and mighty. That story goes on to talk about how the the goddess of the salt water, Tiamat, becomes a, a hideous goddess who rises up against the other gods. And she pulls around herself an army made up of demons with all sorts of names, like the hairy hero and the scorpion man. It's like something out of a Marvel or an Avenger comic, isn't it? And she develops this big army full of these demons and they go out to fight against the other gods. The other gods want to bring her down, but they can't. So there's one god called Marduk who stands up and says to the other gods, I will go and fight Tiamat, but on one condition, that if I win, you will proclaim me the god of all gods and the king of all kings. So the other gods agree to that, and Marduk sets out, and he does indeed vanquish Tiamat, and he is proclaimed the god of all gods and the king of all kings. Why start on Palm Sunday with a story about gods and goddesses and strange hairy demons? Because, as strange as it might sound, When it comes to thinking about our involvement with issues of climate and other environmental crises and our role as Christians in responding to these things, I think we are sometimes more influenced by that story and the theology that it has in it than by the other creation story that we claim to live by, which, of course, is Genesis 1, and the story that we're much more familiar with that also starts with in the beginning. And I want to talk you through four very simple biblical points and show us why sometimes our theology comes from what was actually the Babylonian creation story, but that actually we are called to live according to the biblical narrative. The first point I want to draw on is that God made this world and loves his whole creation. It's a really simple point, isn't it? But I think sometimes we miss the power of it. Now, in the story that I began to read out to you, and it's actually a really long epic that goes on for a long time, in that story, the creation was made, or the world was made, by all these gods fighting against each other, and then eventually one of them fighting against the evil goddess. 
and her body is what becomes the, becomes the world. And you see all these gods fighting, and it takes a long time before the world is made. But in our creation narrative, in Genesis 1, you see that God simply spoke, and it came to pass. By God's word, the world was created. God doesn't have to do any fighting against any other gods. The God we worship is simply the one supreme, almighty God. And by God's word, the world was made. In the Babylonian story, as I've said, the world is made out of Tiamat's body. It becomes very gruesome in the story. Marduk gets a sword and he slices Tiamat's body into three. And out of her body, he makes the, the seas and the land and the, the skies, the air. And out of different parts of her, he fashions different elements. So out of her breasts, he makes the hills. You didn't think you'd hear that word in your Sunday service, did you? Out of her crying eyes... He makes the rivers and so on, and it goes through in a lot of detail all how all the different parts of her are, are made into the world. The impact of that is that for the Babylonians, the world was evil. It was inherently, there was something inherently negative about it because it came from an evil goddess. What a contrast to what we see in our creation narrative, where at the end of each day, God looks at what has been made and says it's good. And then when God has finished creating, he looks at all that has been made, all that he's made. And what does he say? He says it is very good. Genesis 1.31, God looks at all that he has made and says it's very good. God looks at all that he has made, the whole natural order, and says, it's fantastic. I love it. Have you seen this? Do you know if you've made something amazing, if you like cooking or craft work or doing stuff in the garden, or if you've been working really hard at an essay or something at work, and you've finished and you you show it to someone near you and, and you say, look at this, isn't it amazing? Look at, what I, look at what I've made. And this is what God is doing. God asks us to look at what he has made and to see it through, our, through his eyes. And too often, I think, that we have been brought up with theologies that actually owe more to the Babylonian narrative where we see the world as something that's a bit inferior. It's a bit tainted, it's negative, it's evil. It's inferior in relation to the, uh, some sort of spiritual order which is seen as being superior. And so things like worship and prayer and kind of things we call spiritual are therefore far more important than things that are earthy and physical. But Genesis 1.31 destroys all of that, all of that unhelpful dualism and says that matter matters to God. And we see that through the whole of the scriptures. 
we see it in the Psalms where the created order isn't something to be discarded, isn't something that's negative. The created order is it's part of the choir of creation, isn't it? Some of those beautiful, beautiful psalms of praise where you go through all so many different aspects of the created world and they all join in together singing praise to God. And we are just a part of that. We take our place within the choir of creation. We see God's love of the natural world in Job 38 and 39. You know those huge descriptions as God thunders. Where were you when I opened up the storehouses of the hail and whatever those words are? You know, the almightiness of God. But then also the beautiful intimacy as God goes on to say, were you there? Were you watching the doe when she gave birth to the fawn? And he talks about the ostrich and other creatures. You get a sense of God's sense of humor as well around this ostrich kind of being quite silly. And just such a beautiful picture of how God looks at the created world and loves what has been created, loves his whole creation including humans, of course, but loves the whole natural world. And so it was really wonderful to, to hear your introduction about loving Lagan Valley, loving the place that we are in. And if nothing else, I would love, love you to get a sense of how God views the world. Did you know that the opposite of love isn't hate? The opposite of love is apathy, literally apathy, without feeling. When we don't love, when we don't have relationship, when we don't have connection, then we don't act. And so responding to the things that we see in the world around us don't come from a sense of duty and what we should be doing. They come from a sense of love of being connected, of loving the, the land that is around you, of loving what God has made. So God made this world. It's such a basic thing, isn't it? But I think we miss the importance of what that says for us in our faith. God made this world, and this world was made by Jesus Colossians 1, 15 to 20 tells us that this world was made by Jesus and for Jesus, in Jesus, through Jesus, almost as if this world was like a present from the Father to the Son. This isn't only an Old Testament thing. We see God's love for the world right in the New Testament as well. For God so loved people, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And this world has been made by Jesus and through Jesus. So as someone who loves Jesus and wants to worship him and follow him, don't I therefore, don't we therefore want to love and value and take care of that which is so precious to him? I wonder how Jesus feels when he sees the world being treated, his world being treated so badly. So God loves this world. 
And he's created us to look after it. Genesis 1, 26 to 28 talks about us being created in the image of God. We are God's image bearers. The, the language and the, the picture of Genesis 1 is kind of like that of a temple. You know, if you've gone to a temple and you've visited it, you know it has the images of the God in it, doesn't it? And that is what we are. We are God's image bearers placed in the, the temple of this world, created to be God's home. This temple, we are God's image bearers. And that's why Isra the Israelites were commanded not to create any physical images of God. They didn't need to because they were God's image. And I wonder, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? We often think of it in terms of other people, that poverty and injustice is absolutely wrong because all people have been made in God's image. And that, that of course, is right. But also, I wonder, what does it mean for me to be made in God's image? How do I represent God? When I look at God's character, I see a God who has compassion, a God who is a servant God, a God who loves, a God who is deeply concerned for issues of injustice and poverty, a God who calls us to spend ourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Is that who I represent in my life? When people look at me, is that the kind of God that they would see? How do I represent God? So we have been placed in this world to be God's representatives, that other people might look at us and see who God is, and that the whole wider world might look at us and see who God is. Genesis 1, 26 to 28 has the literal reading of God saying, let us make humankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, etc. We are called to be servant rulers. We've been made in the image of God so that we might take care of the rest of what God has made. That's our calling. And it's a precious calling. In the Babylonian narrative that we just started off with, human beings were created because the, the lesser gods were put in charge of their temples and they had to clean the temples and do all the menial jobs that the more superior gods didn't want to have to do. The lesser gods didn't want to have to do that. They were really lazy, so they fashioned human beings out of clay and that's how the first human beings were made, according to the Babylonians. And they made human beings to be slaves, to be slaves of the gods and to do the menial work that the lesser gods didn't want to have to do. You can see the, the reflections and the parallels, can't you? But how different is our understanding of what it means to be a human? Yes, we are also made to serve God, but with a, a high vocation. We're given so much value. This is a noble job to be taking care of everything else that God has made. 
So we have been created in God's image. We've been placed in the garden, Genesis 2.15, to tend it and to take care of it and to look after it. If you like gardening, that's not a thing that's separate to your Christian faith. It's the first thing that you're called to do as a follower of God is to garden. That's a very high vocation. We are gardeners above everything else. Don't forget that if anyone laughs at you for, like, for enjoying gardening. We are here to take care of what God has made. But the reality, of course, is that we haven't done a very good job of it. And we are facing so many problems. The world has gone wrong because of us. We live in an amazing, wonderful world, but we live in a world of wounds, of our own making. We live in a world that is facing so many environmental crises, a world that is drowning in plastic, a world that is losing so much of its ecosystems and so many of its creatures. We live in a world now in which a third, one in every three amphibian and reptile in this world is at risk of extinction. One in every four mammals is at risk of extinction. We are facing extinction on an unprecedented rate because of us, because of how we are treating the land and how we're treating the seas. And we live in a world that is facing a devastating climate crisis that is impacting all over the world. It's been impacting Western Europe, which last year had terrible floods that led to people dying. It's impacted California and Australia through those huge wildfires. It's impacting people living in Canada on the West Coast as they faced... The, the hottest years ever, what was called a, a heat dome. Terrible for, those, for the people who live there. And also terrible for the creatures that live there. It's thought that a billion marine creatures died off the west coast of Canada from the heat dome a year or so ago. A billion creatures. If we believe or if we worship a creator God, each one of those creatures bears something of God's handiwork. What must God feel about that? So we live in a world that is being devastated by the climate crisis, and that is particularly impacting people who are the poorest in our world the most. Um, and I want to hand over to, to someone who is in that situation themselves so that you're hearing someone else's voice and not only mine. So we're going to watch a video for a couple of minutes. My name is Itzai Morimba. I am the Deputy Country Director for TFL in Zimbabwe. Food insecurity is a big issue we are dealing with, and we are probably going to see a lot more if the climate crisis is not, um, is not addressed. Um, secondly, as a result of the food insecurity, we see cases, quite a lot of cases of malnutrition, and in some cases, deaths, uh, due to hunger. 
uh, malnutrition in the sense that, you know, families might end up with just maids, but then they don't have, you know, a variety. Um, they then um, are stuck with just a few uh, grains and they can't then have other things to sort of support so that they put it a nutritional balanced diet. The number of child marriages increase in years of droughts where families think marrying off our daughter is better because we get um, something from the family that's taking the daughter or it's one less, one less person to feed. Um, we see how, you know, there's quite a lot of gender-based violence where husbands, spouses are fighting because of hunger in the family, you know, as a result of the unhappiness or, you know, that's caused because of no food at, at household level. So definitely without any major interventions, we'll probably see quite a lot of um, that. Child marriages as well as domestic violence are linked to food insecurity issues. Compromised access to clean water as well. Um, so most communities have um, wells, you know, some even at household level, but then because, you know, sometimes they dry up, they have to walk further and further. And sometimes because the water point or the access to water is limited, they just use what's there without even testing on the quality. And in the end, they access water that is not really suitable for human consumption. Um, so some children are at home because they're hungry, they can't get money for school fees, because the family doesn't have enough food, they can't sell enough to raise money for school fees. So definitely uh, we see how generations can then be affected. If they can't go to school, we'll have a generation of semi-illiterate children. Um, so yeah, definitely I think there is enough justification and cause for global um, efforts to just um, address climate change because the impacts I think are really major and cause quite a lot of negative um, um, impacts to households and communities um, in Zimbabwe. So we live in a world of wounds and a world that is wounded by our own actions. And therefore, we have a responsibility to do something about it, don't we? But the good news is that we don't do that in our own strength. And we take responsibility and do something about it as part of God's plans for salvation. And the final point I want to make is that God has a future for this world. Now, going back to the Babylonian story, if, if we believe that this world is corrupt and tainted and evil and so on, then we would want to get rid of it as quickly as possible, wouldn't we? And escape somewhere else that isn't corrupted by the physical reality. And maybe, again, that sounds like some theology that you might have been brought up with. Actually, that's not what we see in the Bible we see a world that is created by a good God and a world that has a future in the purposes of God. This is a, a huge topic that's pretty hard to cover in just a few minutes. But the basic message that we see in the scriptures is that we are working towards a future, not where this world is destroyed and we spend the rest of our days in some floaty heaven somewhere, but we are working towards a future where this world is transformed and renewed, where all things are made new. Not there are new things, but all things, i.e. what is here, all things are made new. 
Revelation 21 and 22 gives us a little glimpse of what the future holds. That time when heaven and earth will be reunited. It's a very physical, earthy picture that we get in Revelation 21 and 22. You know, there's, there are trees with leaves. There's a river that runs through. And yet there's a heavenly city too. And God is in, is in our midst. And it's a real wonderful combination of earthy, heavenly things that we see in that picture. Crucially, God returns here. There is no understanding in the Bible that we are going to be whisked off somewhere else. It's about God returning here and transforming, making all things new. Colossians 1, 19 to 20, which we've already heard this morning, speaks so powerfully into that. It tells us that Jesus' blood was shed on the cross in order to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth to God. All things in heaven and on earth are reconciled to God through the peace that Jesus brings through his blood shed on the cross. I wonder again how many times you've read that and implicitly read people. All people are reconciled to God. Oh, I do still absolutely believe that part of the good news of Jesus Christ is that as individuals we can have a relationship with God. So I'm not moving away from that. But, I, but it needs to be broadened out. If we stop there, we have an emaciated gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is that all things are reconciled to God. God's plans for salvation are about all things. And our role as Christians is that we work with God in that. We are living parables of what the future is to look like. A future where there is no more mourning or suffering or sickness or death. A future where the natural world is there in all its abundance. And so we live our lives today in light, in anticipation of that future. So how do we do that? I want to look now as we begin to come towards an end to thinking about how do we actually live this stuff out? And I want to call us to stand in the gap. We, we have a huge gap between what we see now and what we want to see, what we know is coming in the future, but what we want to grab some of that future and bring it into the present. We stand in that gap. We give. Let me encourage you to use your money generously. We've already heard today about being generous people. As a church, as individuals, are you giving your money holistically? Are you giving your money to support organizations that are working to respond to the climate crisis, that are working to help bring about the restoration of the natural world? And let's think, too, about what we do with the money that we keep. What about your pensions? What about your bank accounts and your investments, your savings? Do you know, I know you know where they are, where they're kept, but do you know what happens with the money that you put into your bank or your pension? It might be that that money is being used by your pension holder, if you have one, or by your bank by your bank, that money might be being used to fund the arms trade or to fund deforestation 
So let's think about what we do with the money that we keep as well as the money that we give generously. So we stand in the gap by giving and we stand in the gap by taking action. And we take action in a couple of ways. One is through using our voices to speak up on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves and to campaign, to advocate for others, to advocate for those living in poverty and for the wider natural world. So we need to use our voices to call on our governments and our businesses to be putting in place policies and practices that work in favour of the world's poor and that work in favour of the wider natural world. The big changes will come when our governments and businesses act and they will only do that if we tell them that we want them to. So let's get involved in campaigning and taking action. We're thinking about Palm Sunday today. And this morning, uh, as I was reflecting on the passage and listening to it again in my daily Bible reading, and you know, I've heard that passage, I don't know how many times in my life. For the first time, it struck me that that was an act of civil disobedience. We're kind of used to Palm Sunday thinking of it maybe being quite a nice procession. You know, the disciples wouldn't have contacted the police beforehand and got things all sorted and nice. And, and we're used to maybe thinking about it in our churches that we process into our church, holding, holding our little palms. It wouldn't have been like that. It was an act of direct civil disobedience that we have been celebrating and thinking about today. And there are times when it is right for us to be involved in things like that in order to get the attention of governments and businesses. So we use our voices in order to bring about the big changes. And then we also act by thinking about our own individual lives and looking to do things in a way, thanks, looking to do things in a way that that are careful towards the Earth's resources, that take care of this world, that think about how much, um, uh, what carbon emissions am I giving out and how much resources am I taking in. So let's think about the food that we eat, the way that we travel, the energy that we use, the things we throw away, particularly single-use plastic, there's loads that we could, uh, loads of detail that we could get into around that. And I, but I would just encourage you to think about what can I do in my life in each of those areas to live more lightly and more carefully and more gently on this earth. So we give, we act, and finally we pray. I absolutely believe that things happen when we pray. And when we think of the huge issues that we face today, yes, we must be taking action in our own lives and doing everything that we can. But finally, we need to get onto our knees and pray. And prayer does make a difference. God promises us, doesn't he, that when his people hear his word, when they listen, when they repent from their ways, when they get on their knees, God will hear, and he will heal their land. He will heal our land. 
when we repent and pray. So let's give, let's act, let's pray, and let's stand in the gap so that as followers of Jesus, we can be grabbing handfuls of that future and bringing it into the present. We're going to take a little bit of time just chatting with the person next to us to think through, okay, what am I actually going to do as a result of this? Um, I would be pretty devastated if I came over all the way. It took me a long time to get to Northern Ireland, can I tell you? And I would be pretty devastated if I went away and thought, well, you've had a really interesting morning, but nothing has changed as a result of it. So I would like you to be thinking, okay, what are you going to take away from this? And just before we do that, let me tell you about some of the resources that we've got at the back there, because these are here so that you can take stuff away with you and um, make a difference and live it out. So saying yes to life that has this very strange Babylonian story in it is a deeper reflection on Genesis 1 and on what was created on each day. And it looks at it from a biblical perspective and then considers those issues today. What is happening with trees or humans or land or seas and so on? What are the issues today? And then what can we do about it? Um, it's designed, it was the Archbishop of Canterbury's Lent book. So it is designed in a format that's for a church or for a small group to study together. And it has resources. It's got online resources as well as discussion questions in here. And particularly, the, the final point I made about this earth having a future, I know that I was touching on some really big theological things that I wasn't able to expand and would love to have had time with you to look at 2 Peter 3 and Romans 8 and some of those passages a bit more. Chapter 4, uh, that's all around what some of us would call eschatology. And chapter 4 kind of really goes into that in a lot more detail. So if that touched on some things for you, but you were thinking, yes, but what about, then chapter 4 in here goes into that in a lot more detail. Then just living, faith and community in an age of consumerism, is looking at the question, how do we live as followers of Jesus in our consumer culture? We are all children of the consumer age. It is the air that we breathe, the water that we swim in, so much so we really don't realize it. But we're called to be formed in the likeness of Christ. So how, how do we follow Christ in our consumer culture? And then two really practical books. Whoop, if I can get it up. L is for lifestyle, Christian living that doesn't cost the earth, is a really practical look um, and just answers that question, okay, what can I do about it? It goes through the alphabet, it takes an issue for each letter, each chapter's very short, so it's what I'd sometimes call a toilet book, depending on the length of a sitting, you might get through a chapter, I don't, don't want to comment, you're, if you're here with a partner, they might know whether you, that would be possible, but each chapter is very short and finishes with two or three very clear action points so that you can go away and do something, as well as learning about the issue. And then possibly my favorite book, 
Planet Protectors, 52 Ways to Look After God's World, is for primary school age children. And I co-wrote it with Paul Carenza, who's a BBC scriptwriter and a comedian. He wrote things like Miranda and some ones that you might have heard of. And he, it's just brilliant because it's got Paul's genius all the way through it and it's illustrated and it's fun and quirky. So that's perfect for primary school aged children. So do have a look at that. It's, there's, we've got a really good offer. If you buy all four, it's a, it's a crazy offer that you won't get anywhere else. So do make the most of that. And they are there so that you can make sure this isn't just an interesting morning. You can look more at the biblical stuff, do some more thinking, and also be equipped to be living this out in your everyday lives and for you as a church together as well. So we're going to take a few moments. We'd love you just to turn to the person next to you and say what has really stood out for you from this morning and what one or two things from that standing in the gap are you going to go away and put into practice in your life? Conversations, um, but just to kind of close out our time together, um, Ruth, thank you so much. That was so helpful. Thank you. And can I really encourage you? Um, do speak to Ruth, um, Glenn, and Lauren, and the guys who'll be at the back, and please do pick up some books. Um, uh, it's so helpful. Um, can I encourage us to stand uh, as we close out our time together? I, I want to say just a couple of things before I take a moment to pray. Um, this isn't like our like shot on the arm kind of climate Sunday day and then we're never going to talk about this again. For us, we do firmly believe that this is the start of the conversation. It's why we were really delighted that you're here to give us just that biblical frame. We're going to talk a lot about this because we really value it. It's really important to us. There's two words that we use very often in and around our community. One is legacy and the other one is kingdom. And I just want to help connect the dots for you um, around what does this mean for us as a church. We talk about legacy, what we get to hand over to our grandkids and their kids and their kids and their kids. And we want to hand over to them a community where they love living in it. And this conversation is right at the heart of that. But we also, we're a church that is all about the kingdom of God making itself present and known right in this present moment. I love that, what you said, about grabbing the future and bringing it in into the present moment. And this conversation around our response to climate change, injustice, and poverty, it is right at the heart of what God is doing in his kingdom work. And so we want to be about that. So I want to take a moment to pray for us. Uh, so why don't you close your eyes? Just center yourself in Jesus. Let me just read a a psalm that I love, and then I'll pray for us as we go. The word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And the psalmist finishes off the psalm with this response. We wait in hope for the Lord. 
for he is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. So may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Lord Jesus, again, we recognize you for who you are, good creator. We recognize that all of this came to be through your word, through your voice, through your breath. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that as we leave this place, that we would leave as image bearers, as representatives of you, that we would be able to reflect you with everyone that we meet this week, but also behind the scenes of our lives in the small decisions that we make. Lord, I pray that you would just bless us with a sense of scrappiness so that we would be the kind of people who take this conversation really seriously. Lord, we recognize that you've spoken today, that you've challenged us. And so in this ongoing conversation, which we will keep chatting about for the rest of our lives, Lord, would you keep leading us, keep guiding us, keep inspiring us so that we will be able to see your good creation come to life. Bless us as we go in Jesus' name.